All right. <laughs> Good to see you all. Uh, if you don't know me, I'm... All right, that's enough of that. Uh, I'm Eric Wakeling. Yeah, and I just want to give you a little update on what's going on with me and why I'm wearing this, if you haven't heard. But uh, just about a little over two weeks ago... I uh, was in a bicycle accident. I'm scared. Okay, good. I was like, do they have pictures or something? Because I don't want that. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah, I just, I was, I was getting ready for this Ironman that's a week away, actually, from, from today. And was cycling, and a person came into my lane, and I crashed going relatively fast. And I uh, was... I have a memory gap of at least in the minutes range, uh, at least five to plus minutes. And uh, as I was knocked out and then came out that I broke my collarbone in a couple places. And so I got ambulanced over to, got taken in an ambulance to, to the ER. And then I've just been kind of uh, on the recovery mend for these last couple weeks. And I was really disappointed. I was disappointed in some things about my race because you do a lot of work to do an Ironman triathlon and I was just like so close and like, oh Lord, why? And pretty frustrated and, uh, and just bummed out, you know, and I think it's okay to just be bummed out sometimes. And I feel like though that I have just been so blessed by a few things, obviously just the Lord and his care for, for me, my family, <laughs> my poor family's uh, nursemaids for me for these last couple weeks um, uh, have been amazing. But, uh, and then just you guys, uh, like friends and family in the church, you guys have just been so caring. I've had so many great cards and messages and uh, as well as more food than I could possibly ever ingest. So I went from like my fittest moment to at my fattest. <laughs> but uh, I'm grateful to you for that. <laughs> so anyway, I just, uh, I'm, I'm doing better. I'm on the mend. We got to just, we'll see what a little bit more to, to see some more x-rays in a couple weeks and just trying to recover. This is my first like moments when I got here today, uh, just like kind of out and about and in public. And so it's just, uh, it's been good to be here, just feeling a deep sense of the Lord's care. I'm like biting my cheek to keep it together. Uh, but uh, just a deep sense of the Lord's care and, and your love, even just in worship in this time, like for, as we were singing, I just was like, oh, Lord, it's so good to be with my brothers and sisters. And, I, you know, you get, when you're healing and mending, and some of you have been through this stuff, and maybe some of you watching at home or in this kind of a moment, even right now, where you're isolated and, and on your own, and you start to get sort of comfortable in that, and you just kind of want to be alone, and then it's, like, scary to go out amongst people. And that's kind of what we all felt in the COVID moments and all that. And then you're just kind of, okay, God, uh, this is good. It is good to be here. And uh, I'm just, I'm sharing here for a moment, and I'm going to introduce our preacher today, because I was not up for <laughs> preparing the whole thing today, but I'm very excited, because this one, I've actually really been looking forward to this one. We value dependence, and I, I, I believe that God is doing something in our church, and will be doing something in our church when it comes to prayer, uh, has been over these last months and will continue to over these next um, following months and years. I believe that it is a major part of who we need to become, our men and women of prayer, with deep dependence on God. And I think if God has taught me kind of anything even in, this next, in these last couple weeks, when you see the little subtitle, we pray like it depends on God and we work like it depends on us, 
that means we work hard. We work hard no matter what. But I think what God showed me is that it depends on God, <laughs> right? It depends on God. It comes down to that ultimately. It all and only depends on God. And so we trust in him and we trust in him deeply. And I look forward to sharing more about all of that, but I'm going to stop sharing now and introduce who we'll be sharing today. And I'm grateful for him because he has been a man that has been a leader in our church that has led in this way of dependence upon God by example, that he seeks the Lord with all his heart. Uh, He is the chairman of our elder board, and I'm proud to serve with him. Let's give a warm welcome to Norm Alexander. Well, thank you. How very nice. Boy, I was listening to the introduction and kind of wondered if somebody else was going to get up behind me, but no. And we are grateful that you're here today, Eric. We are grateful for you. I know I'm personally grateful for you, if for no other reason than I now have one more reason not to do a triathlon. If you see Eric today, love on him. Bless him with your words. Pray for him. But whatever you do, don't touch him. Uh, Eventually, he will love a big hug from you, but just not today. So anyway, thank you for being here. And if you are with us in this room, I am grateful for you. If you're outside, it's warm out there. I'm grateful for you. You're welcome to come inside. If you are online, we are grateful for you as well. Whether you're joining us live or joining us later on, we're glad that you're here with us today. And as Eric said, we're going to talk about dependence today. And this finishes our series on our values. We've been going at this for 11 weeks. This is our 12th week. And this, again, is the idea. If you've been with us, you know it. Uh, If this is your first time here, relatively new, uh, this is the perfect day for you to join us as we conclude this. Because these values are not meant to be, you know, wholly unique. They're certainly from the Bible. But we believe this is part of what God has called us to be in this time where he's placed us, particularly in this season, that we want to grow in these. So as you look back over those 11 and now the 12th for today, you might recall some of the ones that struck you and stuck with you and that you feel like God is asking you to grow in. Today, our last one is on dependence, which probably is a good place to culminate, as, as Eric was already saying. And so our goal for today is we would increase your dependence. I wonder if there's a typo. It strikes me a little bit funny. Maybe, maybe, maybe we should have said we want to increase your dependability because as a church we need people that are dependable, that we can rely on them. And that's absolutely true. We, we need to be dependable people. But what we also need is dependence meaning we need to learn, certainly to depend on one another, but especially to depend on God if we're going to do all that he has called us to do. So if you have your books with you still that look like this, the little handbooks that say we've, first of all, congratulations. I mean, I feel if you made it through 12 weeks and you still got this baby, I feel like we ought to give you a stamp, you know, or a sticker or something, maybe next time. But anyway, so if you turn to to page 16, you'll find the, the section on dependence. And there's some great verses in there. There's a great uh, summary in there of the things that we feel about dependence and why it's important. 
And so on the screen, I've kind of summarized that for you if you don't have your booklet with you, which is fine. You don't need it. Because we're going to take this as kind of our jumping off point. Um, we're going to take that and maybe go a little bit deeper, a little bit further. Here's, here's the plan for today. <clears throat> we're going to talk about how dependence is countercultural. Okay? A lot of us are kind of uncomfortable with it, like I was when I first said it out loud, because it's not often what we hear from our culture. Nevertheless, dependence is universal. It applies to everybody, and it's absolutely mandatory. It is required. It's necessary if we want to live this life that God has called us to. As a matter of fact, it's a wonderful aspect of the life that God has called us to. I'll even say it is our superpower. And then we'll just conclude <clears throat> with a couple of stories, a couple of adventures, one from the Bible and one from our own lives. So that's our plan for today. So let's get with it. <clears throat> First point is dependence is countercultural. Now, especially in the Western world, perhaps most of all in the United States, dependence is not necessarily something that we value. As a matter of fact, we are big on independence. I mean, we talked about you know, we recognized our veterans, and one of the things that they fight for is our independence, right? And, and we build that into the way we raise our children. We want them to grow up and be independent. Please, please be independent. We, we want to raise them that way. We want to send them off. And that is perfectly appropriate because at healthy adults, we don't want them to be dependent upon their parents forever. However, there's a sense in which we were built to be dependent, not on our parents, but ultimately on God. And it may be that as we talk about this morning, maybe we need to shift our paradigm just a little bit, and that our goal as parents isn't to make our children independent, but to transfer their dependence from dependence on us to dependence on God. We'll see if you buy into that when I'm done. <clears throat> Here's the next thing. Dependence, even if we don't like it, it's universal. It applies to all of us. We're in it whether we like it or not, and it is the necessary and wonderful part of being a Christian. Let me elaborate here a little bit. <clears throat> Let me break this to you. If you didn't know, you didn't get to choose to be born. You didn't get to choose the family you were born in. I know that's a great relief to some of us. We didn't, you didn't get to choose the culture you were born in, the time in history you were born in. You didn't get to choose your talents and abilities. You didn't get to choose how tall you were or what color your hair is or if you're losing your hair. You didn't get to choose that, okay? God was in control of that. That's what we believe as Christians. God took care of that for you. We're all dependent upon him because we didn't get to choose those things. In Psalm 139, it's this great poem where the psalmist writes about this fact that God knows us, and as a matter of fact, he knit us together in our mother's womb. He helped create us, and he numbered the days that we would have before any of them came to be. Now, for some of us, and what that is meant by the psalmist to be, is to be tremendously comforting and encouraging. But for some of us, that sounds a little controlling. That sounds a little less upsetting. Because again, we don't necessarily like the idea of dependence. The Bible says, as a matter of fact, that one of our fundamental issues is that we want independence from God. 
We don't want to respect his authority and submit to it. We want to go our own way. We want to um, have control of our own lives and not be dependent upon him or anybody else. And I'm all for that. I like that plan. I subscribe to that plan. I advocated for that plan for quite a long time. The only problem with that plan, it doesn't work. It's not the way we were intended to function. Some of us have determined that we will be independent. We will not depend on anybody because we've tried that. We've depended upon people and that didn't work out. We've tried to rely on people and it turned out they were unreliable. They disappointed us. We were hurt and we say, I've got the answer. I won't let that happen again. I will make sure that I never depend on anybody again. In either case, we find that whether we're trying to reject God or just be independent of everybody else, that's not the way we were meant to function. And if we get to a point where we go, you know what, this, I've tried this method. I realize it's not working for me. It's not what I wanted. It's not what it was sold to me. It's not what it was cracked up to be. Then we can turn to God and say, I want to be dependent upon you. Of course, the issue is, is when we realize that we want God, we can't do anything about getting to him. I have it up on the screen that as believers, we are dependent upon God for conversion. When we come to realize that we need God, he draws us to that point, and he's the one that brings us to salvation, brings us to faith in him. To have faith in God is to put trust in him, to rely on him, to depend on him. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, a verse that many of you are probably very familiar with, says, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves, so that no one can boast. God does it. God brings us to himself so that we can't claim that we did it on ourselves. We have to say that we depended upon him. As a matter of fact, at the end of our lives, if we stand before God and he says to us, why should I let you into my heaven? The answer isn't because I really tried to do a good job, because I did the best I could, um, because I did what I thought was right, because I'm better than the next guy. The answer is, I don't deserve to be let into your heaven. But because of what Jesus did for me, because he paid the debt that I couldn't pay, because though I rebelled against you, he set that right. Because of what Jesus did for me, that's the reason, God, you should let me into your heaven. And we believe that's the only reason. That's what the Bible teaches. But getting into heaven, becoming a believer, relying on God, that's the first step. That's not the end zone. That's just getting in the game. He's called us as a believers. He's invited us into relationship with him as disciples. And sometimes we get the impression that we come to faith, we believe in Jesus, and it's by his grace we're saved. And then God's wiped the slate clean, and he's told us what he wants us to do. And so great, now we just need to go out and do it. And there's some truth to that. But the fact is, is that God didn't say, okay, the slate's clean, now off on your way. God said, no, I've invited you in my family so that this initial dependence that you've learned will only grow and only deepen. And the wonderful idea here is wherever you find yourself, whether you've been a Christian since last week or for 50 years, we can continue to grow in our dependence upon God. It's something that we can continue to uh, develop like a muscle and learn how to be more and more dependent upon him, more reliant on him, closer to him. 
because God is inviting us into this journey with him, this adventure, if you will. I thought of this talking to someone the other day. You know, one of the differences between a trip and an adventure is that a trip, you usually have an itinerary, and you know where the stops are. You know what the route is. An adventure, maybe not so much. Adventures rarely come with itineraries. God is inviting us into an adventure with him. We talked about this in our retreat as the elders, that God is inviting us into an adventure with him. And we may not know the itinerary. We may not know the stops. We certainly don't always know the route, but we know the destination. And best of all, we know the guide. And we need to depend upon him to guide us. So we're going to take a look at a passage from John chapter 15. If you've got a Bible with you, you can certainly use the one in the, in the pew in front of you if you're here. But if you're outside, if you're online, you can get a Bible, look it up, John chapter 15. I'm going to be used, reading from the New Living Translation. Uh, if you don't have it handy, it doesn't matter. You can just listen to it. But I'm going to read it. I'm going to read from John chapter 15, verses 1 all the way to 17. Fairly lengthy, but I think it's worth the read. So follow along, if you will. I'm going to just put up on the screen just one verse in particular, and that's verse 5, which is kind of the center of it all. But I'm going to read through the whole thing, and here's what I would like you to do. If it's brand new to you, great. But if it's a very familiar passage, try and sort of step into this space where it sounds brand new, like you were with the disciples at the time that Jesus first spoke it, and you've never heard it before. And try and listen with their ears. As a reminder... In John 14, 15, and 16, Jesus is talking to the disciples the night before he is, um, or the night of his crucifixion, the night before his crucifixion, the night of his trial. He's about to be betrayed. And he's telling them all the things that he wants them to know about the days ahead and about what it will be like even after he died, resurrected, and ascends into heaven. He's trying to explain to them what their new life will be like. And it's really hard for them to grasp. So John chapter 15, verse 1, it starts off like this. Jesus says, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Now, if you imagine the the disciples hearing this, the twelve, for the first time, or at least eleven of them that were there, I I often imagine the disciples, because it talks about how they were confused, I often imagine them listening to this and thinking, yeah, I don't know what he's talking about. You know what he's talking about? I don't know what he's talking about. John, do you know what he's talking about? I don't know what he's talking about. I'm just trying to write it down. But he goes on. He's telling them about something they'd be familiar with. He just doesn't know what he means by them and how he's talking about it. So he tries to make it a little bit clearer. Verse 5. Yes, I, Jesus talking about himself. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, 
You may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. So they're starting to see this image and they would be very familiar with a grapevine. They would see them all around their whole lives. And if you're not, or you've maybe seen pictures or maybe you've been to a vineyard, but you know that after the harvest, they cut off all the branches and leave just the, the, the vine, which is sort of like the, think of the trunk of, the, of the, the vine, like a tree, like a bush. It's the trunk and off of that grow the branches and on the branches then grow the fruit. And so he says to them, you know, you'd never cut off a branch and take it and say, okay, now I'm going to grow fruit with this branch. Of course you wouldn't. It only works if the branch is connected to the vine. That's where the source of life comes from. So they understood that part. What is this fruit thing he's talking about? Whenever Jesus talks about food, we always get messed up. Is it because we forgot to bring the, because we didn't cater the thing right? What is he talking about? Jesus is trying to describe to them that the life that he's told them about from the Sermon on the Mount all the way till now, that outflow of that life is only possible if they depend upon him in a deeper, more true way than they ever have before. He's going to go on to talk to them about how he's going to send the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will enable them to depend upon him wherever they go. He finishes with this paragraph. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you may be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command. Love each other. There's a lot there, and I encourage you to go back and meditate on that and go deeper with that passage. Let me summarize it for today. Here's what I think Jesus is trying to explain to us. That the Christian life of walking, of journeying with him is to do his will by his power for his glory. That's, that's it in a nutshell. That's the whole thing that we're caused to do his will by his power for his glory. If you are familiar with the Gospels and where Jesus comes and calls the twelve, you, you know the stories. And Peter, James, and John, they, they were fishermen. And so Jesus comes up to them and approaches them and well, he doesn't do this. He doesn't walk up and say, ah, fishermen, huh? I tell you what, if you come with me, if you listen to the teaching that I have for you, you study real hard and you apply it, I could increase your productivity 50%, maybe even 100%, I could double it. What do you think? Jesus doesn't do that. Now, that may be a bit of a byproduct of what happens, but that's not his message to them. He comes to them and he says, fishermen, huh? What would you say if I said I could make you fishers of men? And as before, they look at each other and they said, we have no idea what you're talking about. And he says, of course you don't. 
Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. That's the kind of life that he's, he's called us to, one that we've never imagined before, one that maybe doesn't even make sense to us, but he's called us to it. And the only way we do it is by depending upon him. It's by his power that we do what is worthy of his glory. So that's what I mean when I say that dependence is our superpower. Let me finish up with a, a couple of stories, a couple of adventures. One's from the Bible and one's our own, meaning my, my wife and, and my journey. John the Baptist, famous guy, you recognize him right away. He's the one on the right. John the Baptist was the one that God sent ahead of Jesus to prepare the way. He was the advance man, the front man, because he knew that the people of that time were not ready to receive his son until they had some preparation. That was John's calling. He knew what it was from the very beginning, and he fulfilled it. And in this scene, it's supposed to be where John is baptizing Jesus, and then Jesus goes on to have a public ministry. And by the time we get to John chapter 3, Jesus is on the scene. As a matter of fact, he's starting to become a little more well-known than John. John was well-known. At one point, it says that the Bible says that all of Jerusalem went out to hear John. He, he had some followers. But now Jesus is starting to become a little more famous. And that's how it was meant to be. In John chapter 3, verses 26 to 28, it says this. So John's disciples come to him and they say, Rabbi, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan, and they're talking about Jesus, that man, the one you identified as Messiah, is also baptizing people. He's, he's doing what you did. He's taking over from, from, from you. He's, he's, he's doing your gig. He's also baptizing, and everybody's coming to him. We're losing market share instead of coming to us. To which John replies... No one can receive anything unless God gives him it from heaven. You yourselves know plainly how I told you I am not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for him. John goes on to describe that he's a little bit like the best man at a wedding. He's not the star attraction. It's, he's there for the groom. And once the groom shows up and he gets to see him get married, that's his joy. That's what he's there for. He also has, follows up with that famous line that says, he, meaning Jesus, must increase and I must decrease. It's a great line, makes a good bumper sticker, put it on t-shirts. Here's the thing about John's life that I find rather troubling. At this point, he ought to like sail off into the sunset. Uh, he ends up in prison, not only in prison, but he dies in prison. He's He's executed seemingly by the whim of some drunken king. And, and that's, that's the end of his life. That's how it goes. You don't make a lot of Hallmark movies out of John's story for some reason. I find that troublesome because John did everything that was asked of him. But John recognized that God had a different plan for him. And I know he had his moments of doubts and he was troubled by it. But he understood that God had given him a ministry and that it had a timeline to it. But John's life and God's blessing on John's life extended beyond just his life here on earth. 
John's perspective was that it, it went on into heaven, and that was the reward that he was looking for. He was joyous and confident in his dependence on whatever my role is, it's the one that God has given to me. And that's the one where I find my true joy and my delight. I hope that you can say that too. Last story is, is our story, our adventure, if you will. So about 10 years ago, I was in the master's program. You've heard Eric talk about it. Matter of fact, I was with Eric in the master's program. Nevertheless, he graduated anyway. Um, and there's a part about in the middle of that where it talks about our dreams, that God has given us a dream or a sense of purpose in our lives. And so as we kind of explore that, what is that sort of dream that, that God has given us for our lives? Because that can be a guidepost for the way God wants to use us in our calling. And God might use that for his kingdom. So he described to us this, this process we could go through to identify our dreams and, and see them used for the kingdom. So I was very excited. I came home and I told my wife, I found out we got to find out what our dreams are and then we can do them for the kingdom of God. And she says to me, I already know what my dream is. I said, no, 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 no. You have to go through the process. <laughs> of course, she just looked at me. I said, all right, all right, all right. What's your dream? She said, I've always wanted to have a children's bookstore. I said, always? I was like thumbing back through my notes. Have I not been paying attention? But what she was saying is that she had certainly had a sense of God's calling on her life and what she wanted to do. And sort of the months that preceded that, it became clear to her that that's what it was. And she expressed it to me at that particular moment. Now, it's helpful for you to know in our marriage that it kind of works this way. It's not the first time Susie, my wife Susie had a dream or an idea she wanted to do something. Uh, several would come up along the way. She'd mention them, and then I would say something like, um, okay, well, that's fine, but... Do you know how to do that? Have you ever seen anybody do it? What experience do you have? How are we going to do this? How are we going to do that? Somewhere around question eight or nine, she probably said, yeah, never mind. So I figured, well, maybe this time I should do something different. Maybe God has called me to something different. Maybe I should more lean into it and become a support rather than just raining on her parade whenever I have the chance to. But here's what's also maybe helpful for you to understand. It wasn't like I was just being obnoxious. <clears throat> there was something inside of me that was doing this. Now, if you grew up when I did and you had to watch cartoons on Saturday morning because they didn't stream all the time, you remember the cartoons where the, the character had the little, he had to make a sort of a moral, ethical decision, and he had these little guys sitting on his shoulder. You know, he had the little angel on one shoulder telling him good things and the little devil on the other shoulder, you know, trying to get him to do the bad thing. I, that's not what I had. But I had, it seemed like I had this guy on my shoulder. He's kind of nicely dressed. He's got a business suit, three-piece power tie, sort of doing a PowerPoint presentation, sort of saying, you know, well, what about this? Well, what about that? A lot of people have done this and they haven't worked out. Not only that, if it doesn't work out, you're going to be embarrassed. And if it doesn't work out, all your money is going to be gone. How are you going to pay for your kids to go to school? Aren't you going to feel like a bad dad? Very obnoxious guy. That was not the voice of my Heavenly Father. So, thankfully, God was gracious and he helped us work through that. And so we leaned into it and, and, you know, long story short, we opened the store. It was over here, if you're here with us in the room, it's not far away at Enderley Center. And big fanfare. And it was wonderful. People loved it. 
Within six months, we had two stores. Within a year, we had 10 stores. Within two years, we went across the country, and by five years, we brought Amazon to its knees. Yeah, none of that happened. None of that happened. But people did love the store, and little kids loved the store. And it was really amazing. After four years, we felt like it had come to its end. And so we closed it, and we look back on it, and we say it was successful in every way except financial. But we don't feel like that was not God's will. We feel like we stepped into that to depend upon God. And God's gracious, it's wonderful, even still today, we'll be out in public, and people will come up to my wife and tell her how much the store meant to us. Even little kids will come up and say, oh, Miss Susie, the story lady. She's still a minor celebrity in certain circles. It's wonderful, but the true gift, at least to me, was the whole idea of learning to depend upon God in a deeper way, to fight against that little guy, those voices that told me not to, and to trust him and to depend upon him, because that's a richness in a, my relationship with him that stands far beyond the life of that store. So I'm going to close us now. I'll invite the uh, worship uh, leaders to come up and join us as well. Um, and as you look back over this series, if you were here for all of them, maybe some of the values in particular stick out to you. Um, maybe this one in particular, this aspect of dependence, maybe this morning or maybe in the weeks that have led up to this, God has really been kind of tugging on your heart about this. So this is what I want to do. I want to ask you to close your eyes with me, and I'll kind of talk us through a little bit, and then I will lead us in prayer before the band takes over. So uh, close your eyes, if you will, even if you're at home or, or outside. And just listen to that, that sense of that nudging or that inkling in your heart. Perhaps you have never truly depended upon God to take you to his heaven. You've been trying to do what you think is right, or you're not even sure yet. You've been trying to understand what this is all about. And Maybe now is the point where God has brought you, where you realize you have to take that first step of dependence, of trust. So if God is doing that in your heart today, do that today. Respond to that inkling. Step out in faith and trust him. Maybe you've been a believer for a period of time and, and there's an area of your life where you just said, God, yeah, you can have everything you want except not over here. This is kind of my thing over here. Or maybe God is kind of calling you to step out into some new adventure and you say, I could never do that. And God says, you're right. You couldn't depend upon me. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the work of your spirit. And whether we realize it or not, we depend upon you just for life itself. God, whether we've been hurt and found others or even you to be undependable, I pray that we would try again, that you would coax us, that you would enable us to enter into deeper dependence upon you, to trust you with those things that are so precious, so sensitive to us that we can't imagine entrusting them to anybody else. God, you are dependable. You are trustworthy. You showed that to us by sending your son that you were willing to sacrifice to have a relationship with us. So God, whatever it is, whatever adventure you have for us, I pray that you would enable us to embrace it as we depend upon you. In Jesus' name, amen.